Welcome, all of our campuses. Glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. Um, I, let me just take a moment and talk about uh, hurricanes and stuff, okay? Um, I, I want to update you on our Houston relief drive before we start into our South Florida relief drive and whatever else. Um, man, I mean, uh, I, here's what I want to say. Someday we're going to go to all the places that we've helped with natural disasters and ask them to help us pay for our taxes. <laughs> I think that's only fair, don't you? Um, Seriously, I mean, to, to be in the middle of what, what goes on down there, it just, it's just unbelievable. And again, more on the way. Um, we partnered with Ecclesia Church in Houston. The reason we partner with churches directly is because we know that the local church is going to be there long after a relief organization is gone. I love relief organizations. Um, I just heard that, you know, the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line is sending ships to islands in the Caribbean to just rescue, empty ships to rescue people. I mean, all of us need to do everything that we can do to help humanity at this point. But we want to look, work through the local church because they're going to be sustainable. They're going to be there. Uh, we've got uh, our, our team is in Malawi, including my wife is in Malawi in Africa, a country in Africa that we have adopted. We have, as of now, we will be graduating the next round of pastors. We will have graduated 600 pastors in purpose-driven training principles over eight months so that we can work through them to help the nation of Malawi. Really, really awesome. Yes, it, but we're going to work through the churches. My wife is there because she's doing women's conferences for the pastor's wives, and, and it's phenomenal, okay? But it's through the churches, all right? That's important for us. Last week, we challenged you to jump in with Ecclesia Church and their community, and all I can say is, wow, we filled up a semi-trailer full, a 54-foot trailer full of not your leftover garage sale stuff. Thank you. It was generators. It was what we asked for, dehumidifiers, power washers, cleaning supplies, all the stuff we asked for. We had so much that we had to go get another truck and a trailer and, and haul it down there. Okay, amazing. And yes, great. We also challenge you to give financially, and as of right now, we have collected $118,000 for relief. It, it, it's so great, you guys. I couldn't be prouder. And that doesn't include those of you who gave to Samaritan's Purse and New Hope Church also and some of those other things. 100% of the money went straight to them. Here's a video from, uh, from Chris Say, the, the pastor there at Ecclesia. He wanted to say thanks. Yay, way to go, you guys. Uh, Denton Cartage donated the truck and the driver to go down there. Ozinga put it on their uh, website, got some help out from a lot of corporations and other people along the way. It's been, it's been an incredible journey, and there is more to come. I mean, our ministry in Cuba, I've been alerted from them uh, this morning. There's no electricity at all on on the island, you know, at all, and, um, um, you know, devastation going on there, and obviously, we're just, I just got a text from a guy in Miami showing me, and they were still 100 miles out from the eye, unbelievable, so, so we've got we to work together, okay? Uh, 150 of you signed up to go to Houston and help. Um, that may be, uh, may be a little tricky. You're going to get an email if you signed up, because now we're realizing the, the mold and the health issues, and we can't do the things we thought we were going to do necessarily without different kinds of, of masks 
masks and all that kind of stuff. So we'll let you know. May need you in Florida. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can do because that's what the church is supposed to do. I'm just thankful that we are a church and that we can all concentrate on working together across our country, kind of in the middle of all the stuff where we were working apart from each other and we had all these issues going on. Now we can all be pulling together, even though it's a tragedy and a horrible time. This is what this is this is be your neighbor. This is love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus was talking about. Um, last weekend, Labor Day weekend is usually a weekend I take off with my family. My birthday's usually right in there, and I end up spending some time with family because all my family's gone far away. And um, that's exactly what happened, except not the way that I thought it was going to. Uh, my, my uncle died, and he, is, he was 86. It was a pastor, was one of my mentors and, uh, in Amarillo, Texas. So I, my family, uh, my wife and I ended up going to Amarillo, Texas for a few days during that weekend and being a part there, which was, which was great. I mean, a joyous celebration of a man of God going home. And, and you get to, you know, you know what funerals are like. You get to be with family. I mean, that's still, it still happens. It wasn't how I, I wanted it to be, but uh, that was a good, good thing. And then on the way back from that, literally on the way back, my father-in-law fell and broke his hip. Uh, he's 83, so I mean you're you're you're, you're groaning because you get it, and you know you know what goes on. So we scrambled to them. We spent the rest of the weekend basically in the hospital, waiting to find out what was going to happen. He was able to have pins and not a hip replacement, um, but the but the big problem is that my mother-in-law has Parkinson's disease and is uh, really needs 24-hour care, and my father-in-law was doing that for her. So, you know, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky scenario. So, um, you know, we all kind of scrambled. I wasn't going to preach anywhere last weekend, but I told my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, I said, just, just let me preach at your church, you know, if you want. And that way it'll be really easy because you've dealt with all this stuff up to this point. So, so I did. So just fun story about my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law has Parkinson's and she uses it as an excuse to just say whatever she feels like saying. I mean, I know she's watching this right now, and we know you do it, Carol. So, so, so as I'm preaching, as I'm preaching at my brother-in-law's church, I'm like, I, I, I look out and I realize that my niece is there from Oklahoma, uh, Megan, and and her boyfriend is with her, and he's of Mexican descent, and his name is Diego. But when my mother-in-law first met him, she called him Diablo. Okay, so I, I don't know, you know, if you know Spanish, uh, but that means the devil. Okay. <laughs> So I got up, I'm like, oh, hey, and I told the whole Diablo story, and I said, it really works out pretty good, because that's pretty much what she called me when I first got into the family also, <laughs> the devil, okay? I, I tell you this because um, most of you get it, and if you don't, you will, okay? There, there are going to be times when you thought you were going, everything was going to be this way, this was the weekend you were going to have, this was the life you were going to have over here, and then somebody falls and breaks a hip, somebody dies, something happens, Okay? I'm thankful because, A, I was going to be off and I got to make it to a family funeral, which isn't always easy. I, I, I haven't been to most of them. And B, I'm thankful for my amazing family legacy. Um, Christians all the way through, some of her, uh, many are in vocational ministry. At both of those, those uh, unplanned reunions, there were a lot of great people that I hadn't seen for a while. And we all get along really well. Even when one of us is Diablo, we all get along really, really well. And I'm grateful for that because I know that many of you are like, man, you know, I, I can't go to family stuff. I, hide your kids, hide your wife. I'm not going in there. This is not happening because my family is messed up. And I get that. And it's a really hard deal when your parents were messed up. 
I evidently thought my parents were messed up. Here's a picture of me when I was a toddler. Look at that look on my face. I don't know what I was doing. I have no idea. But my toddler fears were unfounded. My parents weren't perfect, but they did everything they could, and, they, and it turned out really, really well for me. And they couldn't have done more for my sister and I growing up. And they've been married for 58 years. I mean, I couldn't be more blessed by that. And, and as we married, as we buried, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. It is. And I love you guys. And as we buried my uncle, my dad prayed at the end, did a great job uh, just reminding us of some stories because he was a mentor to my dad too. I know it wasn't lost on me that it won't be long until, uh, you know, it's my parents. As a matter of fact, it's pretty crazy that my wife and I are at the age we are and our parents are at the age they are and we still have them around. My in-laws also amazing man and woman of God. Couldn't be more grateful. Serve God for faithfully for their whole life, and they celebrate 60 years in October next month. So give them a hand as well. I am, I know it's like a freak thing, isn't it? I'm one of, and I say that too because I know I'm one of the lucky ones. It's like functional is the new dysfunctional. I mean, it's just, it's just almost that everybody I talk to is like, oh man, if I had to go to a family thing, I can't imagine. And here's why this is important, okay? The bad week, the weekend that you didn't have planned is always going to happen. So you need the power of prayer. The way that you interpret your relationship with God is a lot depended, uh, depends a lot on your relationship with your family. Because when we start this prayer today, our Father if you, don't have, if you didn't have a good father, if your relationship with your family was messed up, it's, it's going to be hard for you to figure out how to have a relationship with God. But you're going to need it because these weekends are going to happen. These hurricanes are going to happen. These things are going to happen. So let's process this today. Let's process the Lord's Prayer in a way to help you to understand a little bit better who God is and how we do this. Here's what's important. One day... Jesus was praying, the Bible says, in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Super important. Out of all the things they could have asked him, they've seen him raise the dead, heal the blind, walk on water, you know, multiply the loaves and fishes. Of all the things, like if you had one wish for the genie, you know, what would it be? What, what would be the one thing you would ask? And it was teach us to pray. Why is that important? Because somehow they realized that watching Jesus, the source of the power that he had was through prayer. And we all want that. So two weeks ago, if you were here, if you, if you heard this online and we welcome you online, we, we did the, I, I talked about the prayer thing because we talked about our private disciplines. And, and, and Jesus said, listen, don't pray like the religious leaders. And the people are like, what? I thought, I thought we were supposed to pray like them. And Jesus said, no, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Don't pray like them. Here's how you should pray. When you pray, instead, go in, here's what I want you to do. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so not for show. We just do this private. God rewards us. The private disciplines is what we talked about. So the follow-up question is, how then should we pray, right? And Jesus gives them the Our Father, as most of you call it. The Lord's Prayer, right? It's a, it's a prayer that most of us have said over and over and over again. And 
It probably doesn't mean enough to you if you've said it over and over again, and it probably doesn't mean enough to you if you don't understand it. I did a little research on uh, some of those prayers we just say over and over again, like especially before a meal. Uh, there, you know, sometimes, and I don't think God like, is going to make you choke if you don't pray. I, I, don't, th- I don't even know where that came from necessarily, but, but like one of, the, one of the prayers was rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. Anybody say that one growing up? <laughs> Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Yay, God. I just got to tell you, that's not really a prayer. That's a cheer. Yeah, okay. Yay. Good bread, good meat, good God. Let's eat. Anybody? Okay, yeah. Uh, Lord, we know without a doubt you'll bless this food as we pig out. That was a new one to me. Um, my favorite was Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Whoever eats the fastest gets the most. Amen. Now, I, I mean, I, I, got, I, I say that because in a lot of ways, for a lot of us, the Lord's Prayer is kind of like that too. It's just kind of like, I'm, I'm going to say these words and they don't really mean anything. And that's why it's so fascinating that before Jesus gives us the prayer, he says, don't be like the hypocrite religious leaders, go in your closet and pray. And then he says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Okay, two parts to this, according to Dr. Scott McKnight. Um, There's two parts to this. One is the pagans, the babbling pagans. What he means is, literally, I mean, think about where they're at. They've got Greek mythology, Roman mythology. They've got all of these gods. They keep babbling. What, What this means is what they would do is they would just find a god, you know? It's just like whatever, they had the god of this and the god of that, and they would maybe pray to a whole bunch of multiple choice gods so that maybe somebody would listen to them and answer their prayers. Like literally, ah, I'm on fire. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Oprah. Help me, Tom Cruise. I'm on fire. Jesus is literally looking down through history 2,000 years to Ricky Bobby, just right there. That's what's happening. And he's saying, hey, you can't check all the boxes in multiple, multiple choice. That doesn't work. You fail. Part two is for the Jews because theirs was the babbling part. Prayer had become this formal, lifeless ritual. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. The Jews had 18 little prayers that they would say every day, three times during the day. And then if there was ever another little situation, they had these prayers that they would say, which is not bad. They, they weren't rub-a-dub-dub. They were scripture, you know, psalms, most of them. But, but if there's not any meaning behind it, it doesn't matter whether it's a scripture or rub-a-dub-dub. If there's no meaning, it doesn't matter. It's like saying, I love you. Have, have you ever said, I love you to somebody accidentally? Um, most of us had. I, I had a staff person tell the Comcast guy that one time on the phone. <laughs> All right, thanks for your help. Love you. <laughs> what do you do? You just sign up for AT&T right there, right? You're just like, I got to get new service. I can't ever do that. I might get that guy. This is not about right or wrong words, you guys, okay? It's important. This is about what's behind the right or wrong words. So here's what's fascinating. If you put this teaching into context, ironically, what you will discover is that the Lord's Prayer has ironically become, the the one he's getting ready to give us has become the type of prayer for many people that Jesus warned us against right before he gave it to us. It's a prayer that people just kind of recite over and over again, and they've known it since they were a kid, and they just go through the lines thinking that it's going to do some good. And, And I want to tell you, I don't think it does. But the opposite is also true. It's not about the words. Even if you make up good words, 
If you don't mean it, if it's not coming from here, it doesn't matter. I mean, I was thinking about this with my parents, my in-laws being married so long. You know, both of them said the regular wedding vows at their weddings. And most of the weddings that I've done, people just say the regular vows. I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, having to hold richer for poor, sickness and health, you know, loving to cherish till death do us part. And they meant it. And both of them have been married almost 60 years, saying the same vows that everybody else says. I've known other people who made up these flowery, wonderful vows. They wrote themselves and had all these personal things in them, and they, they turned and they said them to each other at the wedding, but they didn't really mean it. Might as well have been ring-a-ding-ding, thanks for the ring, I do, because <laughs> there wasn't anything behind it, okay? It's because it's all about what's in here. Are you with me? So what we're going to do during this series, what we're doing during this series is we're trying to help us think through what Jesus is asking us to say and what it means. Whether we use these words or our own words, it doesn't matter. Jesus is inviting us to talk to God in a special way. And then when we get together, when we say it together like we will today, it, then it will have a new meaning to us, and I think, I think it will help the whole thing, all right? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's all we're going to do today because, man, there's so much in here. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as our Father but not in the same, it's like in general, but not in the same way as this, not like a personal father. The word Jesus uses in the Bible is the Greek word Abba, which means daddy. I'm sorry if dancing queen just popped into your head. Abba, you're old, that's all it says for me. One New Testament scholar said he studied all of literature in ancient Judaism and couldn't find one example of the word Abba being used with God, Abba Father. So when Jesus introduces this prayer, it's like, it's groundbreaking to the disciples and to the people around him. Hold on, we call, Dad, we call God Daddy? I mean, Father, you know, God, Lord Almighty, all that stuff, but Daddy indicates there's an intimate relationship, a personal relationship. That's why I started the way that I did, because it, it, you're going to need it. You're going to have the bad weekend. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have things that are going to go on. But if you had a bad relationship with your dad, especially, or with your family, on the human relationship side, if you can't understand that God is better than that, it's hard to get past that. So Jesus is literally inviting them to say, Daddy, our Daddy who is in heaven. He's giving them permission to approach God as our Heavenly Father. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So how do you pray? That's what I want to ask. This then is how you should pray. What is the basis for your prayer life? For most of us, whether we know it or not, I think we have a transactional approach to prayer, like a business partnership, if you will, okay? Um, God, I've done this for you. Now I, I expect you to do this for me. Or maybe for you, it's like a job, you know? I mean, no one who works for me, let me just say this, ever comes up and gives me a hug on payday and says, oh, thank you for my paycheck, benevolent boss, you're so awesome. I, I would be checking some things out behind the scenes if that happened, right? Most of you look at your pay stub and you think, well, it should be more. I don't live in Indiana, crying out loud, but this should, this should be more. But you're not excited about it. You, you might be like, this is, this is what I expected to have happen because it's not a gift, it's a payment, 
And if that's your relationship with God, if it's that transactional relationship with God, the problem is when God doesn't answer the way that you think he ought to, it totally messes with your idea of God. But if you can understand him as God the Father, who knows what's best for us, that changes everything. Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, I mean, not like mass murder evil, but like you're not perfect, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? It's a relationship that's based on love, and that doesn't mean I'm always going to understand it, but, but our Father in heaven kind of puts everything into the right context. Richard Foster said, prayer is about a loving relationship. It's about an enduring, continuing, growing love relationship with the great God of the universe. And overwhelming love invites a response. That's how prayer should be. To be effective prayers, we need to be effective lovers of God. Then he quotes the rhyme of the ancient mariner, he that prayeth well loveth well. And I would say the opposite is also true. He that loveth well prayeth well. This, this relationship of us to a good, good father is the basis for everything that we do. It's a loving, personal relationship. Another indication, implication of our father is that we have immediate access. Think about this. I mean, you can go directly to God anytime, anywhere. You're not going to have to call his assistant, get an appointment. You don't have to take a number. Okay. My girls, I have three daughters, and they're all grown and gone, all married, grown and gone, actually. They, but when they were growing up, they all had access to me. They all had a direct line before cell phones. They, they had my cell phone number when I got it, and now it's even easier with cell phones. Two of my daughters call me all the time because their kids want to talk to Papa because I'm the most popular of <laughs> all the grandparents. Actually, I know that if they've called me, that means Nana probably didn't pick up the phone, so I better answer it. So they all, because she's the favorite, I'm always going to pick up and talk to them. If one of my kids or my grandkids calls me, I usually interrupt what I'm doing and take the call. Saturday night service, I'm ten, I'm in the, we're in the middle of worship, I'm backstage, I'm getting ready to preach. I'm talking last night, and I'm getting ready to preach, I'm about seven, eight minutes out, and the FaceTime rings. It's my daughter, and it, which means Charlie wants to talk to me, my almost three-year-old grandson. Charlie wants to talk to me. You know what I did? I answered it because they have direct access to me. Do you know what he wanted to tell me? His grandmom was in from England, and she's spoiling them rotten, and, um, and she took him to see the real Thomas the Train. Like, not a little Thomas, like the real Thomas the Train was in Nashville yesterday. I don't know if you knew this or not groundbreaking news, and he's walking around in circles going, and then, and then, and then, and then, and he's telling me all about it. I can't get it. I can't get the end of the thing, and I'm thinking, I, I, I got to go preach here at some point, but this is important to me. Why? Because he's important to me. There are hurricanes going on in the world. There, there are life and death situations. I'm getting ready to preach for, you know, three different campuses and people all over the world. And, and he's telling me about, and then, and then, and then Thomas the Train's engine, his eyes moved, and he's going on and on. I finally, I finally was like, okay, Papa better go. And I hung up, and my daughter, Becca, texted me because she wants my old iPhone if I upgrade to the new one. That's our relationship, okay? <laughs> <laughs> It never ends, okay? Just telling you. 
And, and I'm like texting back with her, like literally walking on the stage saying, I got to go preach now. Bye-bye. Why would I give them direct access like that? Because they're my family, because I love them. If somebody else would have texted me, somebody else would have called me, they wouldn't have been able to get through. But that's what it is. Our Father in heaven, not our creator, he is, not our Lord, he is, not, not our king, he is. But the relationship in prayer has to start with Daddy, Abba, Father in heaven. Because how you address someone is determined by how personal the relationship is, right? I mean, if I go to court, I'm not saying I ever have, but if I go to court, you know, I'm going to address the judge as your honor. I'm not going to say, hi, Bob. If I ever get to meet the president, I'm not going to say, what's up, Donnie John? How you doing? Or, hey, Mike, as the case may be, we'll see how that goes. I'm going to say, good Come on, that was funny. Good to meet you, Mr. President. That's what I'm going to say. Good to meet you, Mr. President. You know, no matter what I think, no matter anything else, that's what I'm going to say. But listen, when I talk to my dad, I don't ever say, hello, Mr. Harlow. I don't even call him Dan. After all these years, 79 years, I just, he's still dad. Our father. Our father, where is our father? Our father in heaven. Okay, talks about the fatherliness of God, and that brings us comfort. Then he talks about the heavenliness of God, which gives us perspective. And it's not that he's in heaven and he's not here. It's that he's everywhere, including a place where we cannot be. And that helps me to trust that the Father is strong, and he is sovereign, and he is over all things. Our Father in heaven is outside of space and time. Good example of this, the Old Testament. Job is having, like, he's having this weekend, you know? I mean, like, on, you know, times a million. His family's died. Everything's been taken away. He's sick. Everything is horrible for him. And finally, he goes to God and says, God, what's the deal? And God says, finally, I mean, God, very patient, but he finally says, listen, Job, brace yourself like a man. It's a direct quote from the book of Job. Brace yourself like a man, I'm going to ask you some questions. And then he proceeds into asking a bunch of questions to Job. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, you don't understand this, right? Job, were you around when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you know how far the oceans are allowed to go up onto the the land mass? Do you know how many snowflakes there are on the mountaintops? Can you move the stars, Job? Job, are you God? Oh, yeah, I forgot I am. And he just goes on and on and on. And he's not being mean. He's just saying, I'm your father in heaven. In Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my ways are higher than your ways. I mean, that is a lot of comfort to me. I don't want to worship a God whose ways are not higher than mine and whose thoughts are not smarter than mine. I don't need that. There's something comforting about a good father in heaven that has that much power. Then, one more thing, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. It's interesting because um, definition of hallowed, to make something sacred or the absolute ultimate. 
What, what's interesting about that to me is that when they translated the Bible into newer language, most of us, and we're just using the King James, our father around here, just to make it, I, I think it sounds beautiful and you memorize it that way. But when they translated for, into newer languages, most of your Bibles, if you look it up on your phone or look in your Bible, it still says, hallowed be your name. You know why? Because there's not a word in the English language that really is the same as hallowed. It's not just honored. It's not just putting something in first place. It's acknowledging that God is in his own category, our Father in heaven. But, but what we're doing is we're saying, I know that my Father's in heaven, so hallowed be your name. I'm putting you in a different category. So in our prayers, this sentence means that God is in heaven and we're recognizing that and our hope is in you. Because a lot of times what happens is I get in over here, maybe it's good stuff, maybe it's like money or relationships or whatever, and it's going good and my hope is in that, or maybe it's bad stuff, well, your father-in-law breaks his hip or your uncle dies or a hurricane happens or whatever's going on in your life, and you're, and you're realizing your hope was kind of in the worldly things that was going on because you're worried all the time. And and your emotions are going up and down and up and down, just like the hurricane. Based on the hurricane, it's going up and down and up and down and up and down. But when you realize that God is on the throne and you hallow his name, you see what happens? Then everything else is relegated to second place. Can't serve God in money. Can't serve God in relationships. You, You know, why do you worry? The whole Sermon on the Mount. Why do you worry about your life? What do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and all those things? Your heavenly father, he's the one that's taking care of you. Those things that are hallowed are the things that are superior. And whether we like it or not, sometimes we make those things into God. So the beginning of this prayer is, you see how important this is? You're my father. I have access to you. And and you love me. And you're in heaven. So that gives me perspective and I'm going to hallow your name. Hallowed be thy name. I'm gonna put you on the throne and then everything else kind of goes away. And obviously the rest of the prayer addresses some of this stuff and we're gonna do more, four more weeks of this, so be here for this. Listen to my favorite scripture about God. It's in Zephaniah in the Old Testament, which it doesn't sound, it's in one of the prophets, it doesn't sound prophetic at all because God is telling the people who he is through Zephaniah. He says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Our Father in heaven, right? He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can I explain that? I want to make sure that you get all of this, okay? He is mighty to save. He's in heaven. He's strong. He's over everything. You don't have to worry. He will take great delight in you. Hang on a second. That doesn't sound like God, God taking great delight in you. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a proud papa, doesn't it? If you follow me on social media anywhere, who do you think I delight in? My grandchildren. I mean, every other post I have is a picture of my grandchildren. I delight in them. I think they're adorable, and you should too. You don't have to follow me on social media. Just deal with it, okay? And I don't understand those of you who put pictures of food on your Instagram. I mean, nobody cares about your food. If you delight in food, you need a new life, okay? That's all I can say. 
But, but all of us delight in something. I mean, really, social media is a perfect example. Could you grab a hold of this? Could you please understand that if you could go onto God's Facebook page, he has a picture of you. And it's not like, don't be like this guy. It's, this is my son, this is my daughter, I love them. He takes great delight in you. You're like, oh, PT, you don't know what I've done. No, I, 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 I don't. You don't know what I've done. But I can tell you something. I didn't always like what my kids did. I always delighted in them. I won't always like what my grandkids do, but I will always delight in them. That's our relationship with our father. He will quiet you with his love. Well, that's exactly what it sounds like. He's pick you up and, and, and hold you. When I, when my family's all away, so when we're reunited, it's usually, at least for the two of them that have my grandkids, I, you know, when you get together and you haven't seen each other for a while, the grandkids want to hug you and you want to hug the grandkids. And it kind of gets to a different place in a relationship because, you know, I also want to hug my daughter and my son-in-law, whichever one I'm with, but there's so much attention paid to this little one, and of course they love that. But, but I'm, I always try to be conscious that I'm always going to be my daughter's daddy. And, and honestly, I'm still surprised at how much I feel like when I hug my daughters or I put my arm around my daughters and, and, we, and we talk we spent some time together. I, I feel like they just melt into my arms like they were 10 years old again, honestly. Because that relationship is always going to be there. I'm a big believer in hugs and touch. I mean, I'm not Lonnie, but I'm not Ron Swanson either, so I'm somewhere in between there. And, and the truth of the matter is, we, I, I focus on that. And the fun thing about it is, I get a lot back get a lot back from my grandkids, but I get a lot back from my relationship with my daughters and my sons-in-law. And your heavenly father does too. And whenever you're having these weekends and things aren't going very good and your life isn't turning out the way you want, he's there. He's there to hug you. He's there to quiet you with his love. And then the last one is this. He will rejoice over you with singing. Um, we sang Jesus loves me to my girls every night of their life growing up when they were little. My middle daughter and her husband sing good, good father to Olivia, our granddaughter, every night. I, I mean, there's obviously part of that that has to do with singing and music. And, but, but, but what you need to understand is that in the original language, rejoice over you with singing meant literally to spin around with intense motion, to dance, to pick them up and spin around and dance. God wants to dance with you. As a dad, as a papa, there's nothing better than picking up my kids when they were little and spinning them around with intense motion. And then when they grow up, if you have daughters, someday there's going to be this one, spinning them around with intense motion. Those are all three of my daughters in the daddy-daughter dance. I hope every one of you dads gets to have this gut-wrenching moment in your life someday. If you don't have a daughter, adopt one. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, you can ask me later how much that picture cost me. It was an expensive picture. But... <laughs> can you let this be your new picture of your Father in heaven? The Lord your God is with you. 
He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Will you stand with me and recite the Lord's Prayer together? And then you can remain standing because we're going to sing Good, Good Father together. Now I hope this means a little bit something different to you. Now I hope you're already starting to get it, and I hope you'll be back over the next four weeks as we unpack this. I don't think anybody's going to say this without emotion today. Let's do it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.